Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew this city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Hey everyone, welcome back on in here to Sacred City Vision Drip. It's good to be back with you. It's been a couple of weeks since I sat down. Uh, actually, I don't even remember the last time I sat down for a podcast, but today I'm here. I got some time and uh, circumstantially things have sort of aligned uh, to, for me to talk about something that I've been wanting to talk about for a, a little while. This is one of the, the areas of focus that as we started uh, the year 2023, um, as we surveyed our way through Psalm 112 that we saw pop up. And again, we saw it in Nehemiah 10 uh, sort of arise in last week's sermon passage. And so I thought today would be a good day to sit down and talk a little more in depth about uh, biblical stewardship, this idea of, of giving and uh, what it looks like for Christians to give uh, resources, finances to the glory of of God. And uh, one of the things that we have in our arsenal of resources, um, and we do have quite a few resources laying around, but what tends to happen with some of these resources is they they are given, uh, and given out or they're somewhere online and you might see them one time and never see them again, or you take it home and it gets buried and ends up getting tossed away sometime. Uh, but we have this great paper that's been written. Um, I don't know I actually don't know who wrote it. It's probably Pastor Justin um, who wrote this bad boy, um, working through some of the big questions that circulate around the idea of stewardship and biblical giving. Um, and so I wanted to to kind of work through this document, uh, do a little bit of reading, a little bit of commenting um, on some things, and, and do a little bit of theological work and practical work um, for helping us navigate this, uh, this concept. Uh, because like I said, Psalm 112, Nehemiah 10, one of the, one of the pieces that gets brought up in both of those is this idea of stewardship of, of using wealth as a resource for the kingdom of heaven, um, and understanding our role as stewards of God. And so as we, as we work through this, we got to start at the beginning. We have to understand that the Bible begins that's epic narrative with God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis one, one, uh, at the center of this whole narrative is God. God. He is the main character and it's all about him and everything belongs to him. The psalmist in Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's. It's, it's his creative domain and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. And yet, as soon as God created humans, as he created the world and created humans sixth day, um, men and women who bear his image, God delegates authority to Adam and Eve um, and gives them the responsibility to steward 
everything on the planet. So stewardship is the idea um, of, of managing someone else's resources. So God, everything belongs to God. Every, every square inch of the cosmos, every dime, every penny, and every human's bank account belongs to God. Every hair on, on your head, on anybody's head, belongs to God. It's all God's. Um, yet he specifically when it comes to the resources, he delegates uh, man to take care of it, to steward the things that God has. So while it all belongs to God, he asks humans to fill the earth and subdue it, to, to exercise dominion over every living thing. And one of the key aspects of our role as God's stewards is to manage the financial resources that God has put in our lap. Uh, and Jesus talks about this specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and Jesus, in, throughout his ministry, talks about money often. He says this in Matthew 6, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as disciples of Jesus, the way that we hand, handle our money is a primary indicator of our health, uh, of the health of our affections for Jesus. And generous giving is one particular aspect of financial stewardship in which many Christians struggle. Um, now, as I'm recording this, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to Christians here. I'm not trying to get the the money of non-Christians. We're talking about uh, Christians who have been who have under who understand the generosity of God towards us in the person and work of Jesus. And while we might understand the gospel, there is oftentimes is a dis- disconnect um, in our reciprocation of God's generosity towards us and our generosity towards Him and other people. And so, a lot of times we struggle with this. And and material um, we we don't we don't have this um, king kingdom-oriented understanding of how to use the materials and resources God has has put before us. And so this is what this questionnaire is about, to help us kind of wrap our mind around some of these frequently asked questions um, in regards to uh, money from a biblical perspective. And so I'm going to ask some questions uh, and uh, go to the scriptures to, to see what the scriptures has to say about some of these things. In some places, it's going to require some some guidance from the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to take the principles of the Holy Scriptures that don't speak directly to a matter, um, trusting the Holy Spirit to use these principles that have been laid out, and then wrestle with these questions and ask the Spirit to speak clearly to us, um, and, and, and then for us to listen and obey to the Spirit as, as the Spirit leads. And and again, a way that we do this is by seeking um, confirmation from the community, from, from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ um, who can help us and, and kind of get their eyes on our lives and our conduct, especially um, as it comes to our finances. And so part of growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ is growing in our understanding of how to use resources to the glory of God. Uh, and so we should always be wrestling with these issues. This isn't a bad thing to talk about, although a lot of times people get a little bit squirmy about this stuff. Uh, but this is really an important part of of our discipleship, and we can't neglect this. Um, so the first question, let's start out here. Should I give? Should I give? Um, and let me read for you here. The Bible makes it clear that all followers of Jesus are to give, to share their financial resources. In Matthew six nineteen through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, according to Jesus... 
There's a way to spend our money. There's a way to um, deploy our money from our bank account, from our possession, that will have eternal implications, that will go beyond uh, the an investment in the stock market that will have some kind of returns here in the short-term future, uh, and, and instead to invest it in, in the kingdom of heaven, and it has eternal uh, implications. There are, are uh, ongoing returns throughout throughout eternity. Um, and the way, the only way to obey Jesus's command to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven is to give. Um, it's not keeping it. Um, it's to give. And in second Corinthians nine sixty eight, the apostle Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, this t- taps into something really important here that, that as we, if we're going to sow sparingly into the kingdom of heaven, we'll reap sparingly. And those who, who reap or sow bountifully will reap bountifully in this passage. Um, after reminding the Corinthians of the, this old adage, you reap what you sow, and then applying it to giving, the Apostle Paul assures them that God will graciously meet their needs. So even as they're giving in abundance, giving to the point that it hurts, um, they will have everything that they need to abound in every good work. And the reason why God provides for us um, is that so we could provide for others, so that we can meet the needs of others, that we could actually give. And finally, Ephesians uh, 4.28 makes it clear that one of the main reasons a person works to earn money is that so that they will have something to share, something to give others. It says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And here, this is a perfect example of of a uh, radical gospel transformation where God um, shows up in the life of a, a thief, somebody who is taking the wealth from other people unrightfully. Um, and, and now not just getting a job to make money for themselves, but a job to make money so that they can actually contribute to other people's needs. This is really, this is a great example of gospel transformation that, that doesn't just, um, that gets down deep to the heart, but then has external implications. So the question is, should I give? Yes. Um, giving is a marker uh, of a Christian. It is we, as those who have received so much from God, how could we not give? Now, here's 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 the why, though. Why should we give? Um, and this a lot of times gets fuzzy for people um, in understanding the 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 driving force behind our giving. This is one of the most important questions on the list of why we give. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their external conforming to the law's demand. So here they are; they're giving their tithes and and going to an extraordinary amount of length to to make sure that there's exactly precise ten percent of everything that they had. And while they did that, they still had a a lack of generosity. They they lacked a, a merciful heart. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he says. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. So your spice rack is being tithed off of. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So while making it clear that Jesus, he, he's saying that you should give. He's not saying, hey, you're doing a bad thing in tithing. 
He's not saying that at all. Um, what he's saying is that you're doing the external work without actually having the, the internal heart work in place as well. The Bible clearly states that we are to give and shows us the reason why we are to give. Now, why is this? First of all, as has already been mentioned, everything belongs to God. Um, and we are merely his stewards, managers of God's wealth. The financial resources that we have are not ours. We don't get to dictate and determine what we do with them. Um, so we're not the ones who can ultimately make the final call on how to use utilize them. Now, this, this goes for all your wealth, that, that we should be seeking God in the way that we use it. Um, this notion of, of us being more, mere stewards of God's resources clearly challenges our sinful desires to live for ourselves and to be our own master, or I guess let money master us um, would be another way to say it. Secondly, uh, another reason why we give uh, is the good news of the gospel. It tells us that because of our sin and rebellion against God, because of our desire to use God's things to advance our own agenda, we are broken and in need of a savior. The reality is that we have viewed money as a thing uh, that would give us security, significance, satisfaction. We have made it a God, and in doing so, we've rejected the one true God. Because of sin, we deserve death. That's Romans 6, 23. And there's nothing we can do, including giving our money away to save ourselves. So here, here's what... We do not give in order to save our souls, right? We, we don't do anything in order to accomplish that. You cannot give as a way to make up for your sins. And we cannot atone for, for the misuse of money by simply changing the way we use it. And, and we can never repay the debt that we owe to God uh, because of our rebellion against him. We just can't, can't do that. Um, and so the gospel frees us to give because Jesus has come to earth, willingly lay down his own life for us so that we could be forgiven and adopted into the, to God's family. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he was separated from the Father, becoming spiritually bankrupt. He put it all on the line. Also that we, that our sins could be forgiven and we could become spiritually wealthy, possessing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1.3. The greatest spiritual blessing that we possess is the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. We have become partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4. Jesus not only gave his life for us, he gave his life to us through his spirit. See, Jesus is this generous, benevolent, giving God who gives not just for us, but to us. And Jesus now becomes uh, the source of our security, significance, and satisfaction. And in this, we are released from viewing money as a God, and we are free to use money as a resource to serve our true God. And this kind of is what um, Jesus speaks of in, in um, Matthew chapter 6, where he says, uh, you can't have two masters. There's, there's no such thing. You cannot be, be ruled by two separate masters. And, and he says, what are the two? God or money. You have to make a choice between the two. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Paul sums it up this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. See, Jesus showed radical sacrifice and generosity in giving his life for us and to us. He gave up his place in God's, God's family, in the Father's family, uh, though only temporary, as he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, so that we could be grafted in, so that we could be adopted into God's family. Uh, what greater motivation could we have for generosity than this, of seeing the generosity of, 
of God. So if stewardship, if just the, the mere acknowledgement that what we have belongs to God and it's our responsibility to do with it uh, according to God's will, if, if that's a motive for forgiving, which I think that is a good motive to, to, to realize it's all God's and I want to obey him. Well, the gospel provides us with much more powerful motive in showing us that God's generosity is demonstrated and that Jesus came, he gave his life, he put it all on the line for me. And out of a response to that, I want to give generously in a way that that attests to the generosity of God. And giving is a simple way. Uh, that we as gospel-believing people affirm that we have received the generosity of God, that we are sinners who have been saved purely by the generous grace and gift of God. And so that that's really our, our motivation for giving. That's why we give. Now, the priority, what kind of priority should giving have? Now, this is where we're going to get launched into the Old Testament here for, for some really practical guidelines and seeing that there is a, there's a cadence throughout the scriptures um, of the kind of priority that giving should have. The Bible is clear that followers of Jesus should make giving a priority. Um, this is not something that falls down on the bottom of the list that once we have extra or leftover, then, then we can give. Uh, giving should be the first thing that you do and then steward the remaining resources as the Spirit leads it. So the first cut check that you cut uh, would be to, to, to God, to, to investing um, in the mission of God. And then the rest of what you have goes to living and, and faithfully living uh, as the Spirit and the Scriptures lead us in stewarding those resources. The practice that we see, uh, the, the way the Scripture speaks of this, is called the first, fr- first fruits, giving of the first fruits. It's a key principle for God's people uh, throughout Israel. In Exodus 23, 19, the best the best of the first fruits of your ground shall be brought into the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. By by giving the first part of everything to him, grain, olive oil, wine, sheep, cattle, donkeys, etc., etc., the Israelites demonstrated faith in two ways. They believed, number one, everything belonged to God so that he gets the first part, which is usually believed to be the best part. And number two, they believe that God would provide the rest so that their needs would be met. So the first fruits is saying, okay, I see this coming in and I believe that the Lord who provides will provide everything else that we need. So the first fruits goes to God and we see the similar practice encouraged. Uh, the Paul says this to the, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16 two. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper so that there may be no collecting when I come. The Bible teaches that giving is the top priority for us as stewards of God's resources. The first thing that we should do with our money that we receive is give it away, which is a profound statement and requires a lot of faith. Now, here's the next part of the question is, okay, we've established that that giving is biblical. We've established motive for giving, the priority of giving. Now, the next question, getting into the practicalities, how much should I give? Put it, put a dollar amount on it here. Tell me, tell me what the, the marker is. Now, while the Bible provides a few general guidelines, followers of Jesus need to determine the specific amount that the Holy Spirit is leading them to give. Okay, so there's a difference here between letting your budget or, or your current spending habits as they stand in the moment 
uh, determine what you're going to give and, and the difference between that and what the Holy Spirit leads you to give. Oftentimes, Christians look at the budget and say, well, here's what I got left over. Well, that's not the Spirit. That That's your money telling you where it's going to go. Now, one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is where God's people are instructed to bring the first fruits of everything, crops, herds, all that stuff, um, to offer these sacrifices. Uh, they were instructed to pay two different tithes, uh, which were 10% of their income. Uh, they were so- to celebrate three annual festivals, offer free will offerings, observe the Sabbath year every seven years. We talked about that a little bit last week uh, in Nehemiah 10, and to leave produce in the field for the poor. That's Deuteronomy 4. So 24. There are all kinds of examples of, of showing how God's people are to give. Now, when you add all of this up and you, you take your average family in, in the Old Testament period, you're talking about 25 to 35% of their income is going to go toward giving, which is a lot of money, right? Uh, 25 to 35% of their income. That's the Old Testament. And you say, well, what about the New Testament? The New Testament doesn't give us any kind of instruction. Well, the New Testament provides a helpful key guideline or a set of key guidelines that will help us determine the specific amount that we are to give. These three principles are found in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. It says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each other... Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. So here, let me lay lay out some principles here that we see in this passage. Number one, principle number one, give generously. By quoting this old adage, you reap what you sow. Uh, in the context of giving, the Apostle Paul is clearly saying that we are to give bountifully. Um, later in the passage, he specifically says, you will be enriched uh, every way to be generous in every way. So he, here he's saying God blesses so that you can bless. And to the same degree of blessing from God, you are to bless other people. When determining how much we should give, the amount should be generous. This again reflects gospel motivation because God is generous towards us. We're both generous toward God and to other people. So giving generously is principle number one. Principle number two, to give deliberately. In this passage, Paul encourages the Corinthian church to begin preparing a gift for the poverty-stricken church in Macedonia. The Corinthians had experienced a deep desire to help meet this need, but Paul wanted them to be deliberate in their preparation. So there's some mindfulness to their giving. He knew this would prevent the people from feeling compelled to give. So it's one thing to say, hey, guys, I'm going to be there in a few months. I'm going to be there, and I know you want to support this church and give to their needs. And there's a difference between having this prep runway and to be able to accumulate some some resources to bring back, rather than Paul showing up and say, hey, y'all, uh, we're taking up an offering. And so instead of having this 
impromptu sort of um, collection, Paul's telling them, hey, be mindful in advance. Think about this. See how you can sacrifice along the way to give uh, to this end. He wanted them to give because they were led by the Spirit to give a specific amount prior to his arrival. This is why he says, each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So with this in mind, one of the things that we should do as we're giving, as we're thinking about giving generously, we should take time to prayerfully consider specifically how much we should give. Um, This will help prevent us from this reactionary, guilt-driven giving and help us to keep our commitments uh, to help fund those in need. Now, the other thing that that helps here in this situation is when, uh, when I'm preaching or, or the topic of finances comes up, uh, and, and usually people who, who don't give deliberately or, or maybe have sporadic giving, uh, a lot of times the spirit of conviction rests heavy, but in, in having this deliberate mindfulness and in the approach of what to give, um, it, it, you've already done the legwork. You're listening to the spirit uh, preemptively, so the spirit doesn't act in conviction. Which you know, it's it's not bad to be convicted by the spirit. In fact, that's a good thing for us to be convicted by the spirit. But a lot of the the um, the squirminess that comes from um, the topic of money and talking the church talking about money comes from a lack of deliberation in our giving. And when we do that in advance, uh, it, it it alleviates or it relieves our our conscience, um, so that we're not necessarily convicted. Uh, when we don't need to be. So number one, give generously. Two, give deliberately. Principle three is give cheerfully. The Greek word translated cheerful is hilarious, which we get the word hilarious from. God loves it when we are cheerful in our giving, joyful at the opportunity to redirect God's resources to someone else. The only way that we give generously, deliberately, and cheerfully is if we believe that we already have the greatest treasure in the universe, the pearl of great value, which is Jesus Christ himself. The only then we will see our money as a tool to bless others instead of a God that's, that's rivaling the true God for our worship. With these guidelines in mind, followers of Jesus should pray and ask the Holy Spirit how much he wants us to give. When we consider the first fruits principle, the instruction of 1 Corinthians 16.2 and 2 Corinthians 9.7, it seems uh, best to determine a percentage that you will give each time you receive income. Another approach might be to ask the Holy Spirit how much he wants you to give over a specific amount of time, whether it be a a month, a year, uh, five years, whatever it might be. Uh, And when we take the weight of the biblical evidence in mind, it seems that 10%, this, this idea of the tithe, the 10th should be the foundation and bare minimum that we are at, that we are giving back to God. If the old Testament states gave so generously under the old covenant, shouldn't our gospel hearts direct us to give at least as generously under the new and better covenant of grace, right? If we have a better covenant uh, that, that, that blesses us to an even greater extent, uh, shouldn't we e- express that or reciprocate that generosity in our own lives? Now, the next question is, if, if you're bought in here, that, that giving is a marker of, of the Christian living, um, that, that you have gospel motivation to give, the priority is high, first fruits, um, how much to give, the 10th is, is the baseline of where to start. The next question is, where do I direct this money to? Where Who should I give my money to? Now, the Bible provides, again, much helpful guidance uh, in answer to these questions. In the Old Testament, two clear priorities emerge as we consider the different gifts and offerings God's people were commanded to give. The first is the support 
of the centralized worship structure, including the ongoing support of the priests and Levites, as well as the orchestration of the third the three annual festivals and the building of the tabernacle and the temple. So the, the first place uh, that, the, that the money goes, that the, the tithes, the offerings, the first fruit offerings, the two tithes, the free will offerings, the entire sacrificial system, um, all of this thing that it funded the sacrificial system, it funded the temple, the work that was going on in the house of the Lord. That's why in Nehemiah 10, we see at the very end, they say, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. There's this command, there's this zeal that they would lean into um, giving towards the ministry epicenter. Now, the second priority um, after the church, after um, the temple or the house of the Lord, uh, is to care for and support the poor, especially um, especially the widows and orphans. The Israelites were commanded to leave produce in the field so the poor could glean. So they would walk through after a harvest had been done, they would leave some, some food on the stalks and, and the poor people could glean, which would provide them with an ongoing source of food. Widows and orphans were included in the annual festivals without having to bring a contribution. And every third year, the second tithe was given to the widows and orphans. So there, there is built within God's um, economy a, a relief for this, these, this class of people, the widows and the orphans, those people who are financially vulnerable. And we see the same two priorities emerge in the New Testament. So this is not isolated to the Old Testament. This is repeated in the New Testament where the first priority of our giving is uh, of our giving goes to support the local church, the body um, that we, the local church where we're members of the body, um, where we, we see God's work, the word um, being mis- uh, the word being rightfully preached, the true wor- true preaching of the word of God. Uh, the proper uh, administration of the sacraments and uh, the uh, the what's the church discipline? That's the other one where um, rightful exercise of church discipline, where these things are going on in the local context. Acts 4, 32, 35 says this. Now, the full member of those who believe were of one heart and soul and no, no one said uh and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So there's this idea that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. And a great grace is upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as any had need. Now, what we need to see here, don't get some of this twisted because some people take this and, and do all kinds of weird stuff with it. The early church, without any sort of governmental coercion, they bring their money voluntarily to the apostles, laying it at their feet so they could distribute it. So the, the leaders of the church are collecting the money and, and they distributed this money to the poor, but the funds were used centralized first, then distributed. So um, the funds were centralized, they all brought in together and then distributed. And we have a responsibility in the same way to give the local church as well as giving directly to the poor. In 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14, Paul defends his authorship and and, uh, the apostleships and argues um, that he and Barnabas have a right... to be financially supported by the church in Corinth. He's saying that, um, do you not know that those who are employed by the temple service get their food from the temple and that those who serve, and you see this with the Levites, the priests, they were all, all of the ties, the burnt offerings, they would get a portion of those things um, for their service, for, for ministering to the people of God. 
And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord command, commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And he draws a clear line from the priests who delivered their support from the Old Testament sacrificial system to the New Testament church leaders who should derive their support from, support from those who they are serving. Paul echoes this. Uh, thinking in Galatians 6, 6 through 7, repeating the, the whole reap and sow principle that we saw earlier. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mar- mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And finally, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, Paul speaks explicitly about funding the elders who teach, lead, and preach. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, the point here is to view the work that the elder does as real work, real actual labor, which, like any job, requires payment. The laborer deserves his wages. The quote about the ox is from Deuteronomy 25, 4, which is also quoted in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11, where he adds, Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope for the sharing of the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? Now, all of this makes clear. If you you approach this um, through the lens of scripture, um, that... What was true in the Old Testament of the people of God are responsible to fund the people, systems, and structures that make corporate worship possible. So to the church, um, as we are being equipped and sent out to be the people of God, living life, doing the ministry of the saints, um, worship isn't something that just happens in a building on on Sunday, but something throughout the week in every place that we as people indwelt by the Holy Spirit are now a temple of the living God. Um, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 places a large emphasis on the importance of the saints being equipped to do the work of the ministry in all of life and that work must be funded. Uh, additionally, the local church has a responsibility to redistribute funds to the needy of the church family and to help fund other leaders who are starting new churches in other places. Philippians 4 is an example of this. Now, the second priority we talk about first, giving to the church. Now, second is to give to help meet the needs of the poor. Acts 2, 44 through 45 describes a life of the early church where resources are shared and everyone's needs are met and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. James 2, 15 through 16 presents this challenging question to us. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is this? And again, John equates the sharing of our resources with loving one another another generosity as a form of love. First John three sixteen through 18. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the word love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All of these passages, these two emphases, or all these passages make it clear as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to share our money with those who are poor, um, particularly with other believers in need, and that our tithe ought to go to the work of the ministry in the local church. Now, as we talk about giving to the poor, 
there's always a question of how do I decide which needs must be met? Which, which, where should I point my money to if I'm giving to the poor? What does this look like? This question is generally answered in the Bible, but requires the ongoing leadership of the Holy Spirit. So here we're looking to the guidance for the Holy Spirit to direct us in this. Other, other than the question, why should I give? This is the most difficult question uh, to answer because there's so many worthy causes to consider and so much need around us in our church community and in our city. There, Jesus says that there's always going to be needy people around us. If the above analysts of the New Testament's giving priorities are accurate, which we believe they are, then it follows that the largest part of our giving should go to the local church, while a separate portion of giving should go to be designated for helping to meet the needs of the poor. For example, if the Holy Spirit leads a person to give 14% of their income, they would then determine how to split those funds between the two New Testament priorities. The Holy Spirit may lead them to give 10% to their local church, which is the tithe, and 4% to helping to meet the needs of the poor. Many followers of Jesus of uh, many followers of Jesus follow the church's example and help fund other leaders who are starting new churches in other places. This is also a very worthy cause of investment of God's resources. So if you've got a church planter friend, you've got a missionary friend, you've got somebody who's maybe uh, a campus crusade for Christ crew or navigators or whatever these other ministries are that are focused on evangelism and disciple making, those are all noble causes, fishers of men ministry, another noble cause. Now, once these numbers the, and, and are, are prayerfully discerned, the hard work of determining where to allocate the funds begin. Because there are countless local and international organizations who do good work, there are always going to, and there are always going to be um, ongoing practical needs that arise within our church family. We have to be able to discern what the Lord is calling us to do, where to point our, gen, our, our resources. Leaders are being sent out to start new churches all over the world. Um, each is, As each opportunity arises, ask the Holy Spirit if He is leading you to give. Often you already have made other commitments that make it impossible for you to give. At other times, the Holy Spirit might ask you to sell something or give something up in order to meet a need. Or something, you know, God blesses you in some other way beyond your normal um, income or, or you get a bonus or something that, that also uh, should be... Uh, given off of as well. And so there, there may be other opportunities to give or, or, or other means that come in, which uh, allow you to give in other capacity. Uh, so having the spirit's influence on these things helps you determine where to point your money. As a church family, we've often been reminded that we should not let um, the need alone determine where we should give, but rather let the leading of the Holy Spirit determine where we should give. So it's not just a need-based thing um, where, okay, this person clearly needs something, but the Holy Spirit ought to be directing us where to give. And Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 come to mind again. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So then, I'm bringing it home here. It's quite the long paper. Um, The last question on my list here is, what are some practical ways to meet these needs. Now, what I'm about to lay out are just merely some suggestions. Um, these are ideas that, that have been proven effective for many people uh, and which are in line with the overall concept of, of biblical stewardship. After the Holy Spirit makes it clear how much you are to give, right? And again, the tithe, the tenth is, is the starting point. Um, then you are to, to determine how to split those funds between the local church and helping meet the needs of the poor or possibly funding other leaders or, or ministries in other places. It can be helpful to set up a special account 
uh, where funds can be deposited regularly and then withdrawn as a need arise. So um, what happens? And we Just some personal experience here. With our family, we, we have a budgeted item line of generosity. In addition to um, our, our tithes and the regular commitments that we have that go above and beyond um, the tithe to other organizations, um, we have budgeted in the past uh, a line of, of money where we can step into opportunity as it arises. Now, if, if you're not pointing that money, if you're not intentional with that money and, and telling it where to go, it will vanish right before your nose. And so this is one way by creating a special account for giving that you can shoot that money off. And then as a need arise, you're able to follow the first fruit approach and, and set aside with that set aside money, um, give as the spirit of God leads you to give. And, and, and so even with, um, a small account, it doesn't have to be a massive account. Um, it's a joy to be able to be locked and loaded, ready to go to give as a, a worthy need and spiritual, uh, not just spirit, as a, a need that spirit leads you, um, to address arises. So you already got that money set aside. Another way the Spirit sometimes lead, leads people to give to special needs that arise uh, is to take out money of their regular budget. I just kind of talked about that. For example, if a person in your mission community needs grocery money um, you, you, and you do not have an auxiliary fund with money to help this need, the, the Spirit may lead you to give $50 of your allotted grocery budget um, for the month to them. And that's a great opportunity to share with someone in need and to trust the Father to continue meeting your needs. And you would be surprised how many times in your generosity, the Lord shows up and blesses you even more and more. In fact, that was uh, that's one of the, the um, uh, in Micah, Oh man, this Micah three eight. I think I could be wrong wrong on this, but there's this passage that talks about on um, the people of God are, are robbing God. And I said, well, how are you robbing God? You're not giving him his tithes. You're not bringing um, into the the temple uh, that which you ought to have brought in. And then it, it, it gives this challenge. It says, come bring in your tithes and offerings, uh, and then see that God will open up the hev- the windows of heaven and just pour out blessing and blessing and blessing. And a lot of times, as we give generous give generously. Uh, with a cheerful heart, we see that God continues uh, to bless us uh, above and beyond what we could imagine. And sometimes it's not necessarily financial giving, um, but other types of blessing that the Lord um, does. As the Apostle Paul says, it's better to give than it is to receive. He's saying that as he quotes Jesus. And so let me just leave you here with a couple following thoughts. Uh, we fall into the trap of believing that money will provide us with uh, measures of security, significance, and satisfaction. We believe that if we had just a little bit more, then we'd finally be content. But Paul concludes his letter to Timothy, who is a young church leader, with some encouraging and sobering words about money in 1 Timothy 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into shame, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves 
as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, in, in inviting us to give, Jesus is offering us that which is truly life because we already have the greatest treasure, which is Christ. Because we have this, we are free to generously give the treasure he has entrusted to us. We have no fear of losing out on life, but rather we can rest knowing that we have nothing else to lose and everything to gain. I hope this this passage or this passage, this article um, that I've read and sort of commented my way through um, is both challenging and encouraging to you. I know um, there are many people in our church that... Um, We've got many people who are, are faithful, generous givers. We've got many people who are, are working their way towards that. And we've got a, uh, several people who are, are not on the radar as generous givers. And, and if you're a Christian, the Lord Jesus is calling you into this, this area of discipleship to be a good steward of the resources God has entrusted to you. And, and there are things about this that can be frightening. Uh, and I think that a lot of times that, that bringing them up within the context of community, be it your fight club or missional community, talking about it with your missional community leaders or coming to me as your pastor to discuss these things. Uh, this is a fruitful and productive topic to wade into. And so I want to encourage you um, to think as a steward of God. Think as somebody who's been uh, delegated with God's resources to use for God's purposes. And, and one of the first things that God wants you to do with that is to be generous. So I want to invite you into this and to find the joy in giving, to find um, the cheerful, uh, joyful, exuberant uh, blessings of generosity and finding, as Jesus says, it's better to give than it is to receive. Uh, and, and that's almost like a promise. It's like it's a, it's almost like a dare. Take him up on it. Just try him out. And God will bless you as you continue um, to walk faithfully before him. That's all I got for this time. If you have any questions um, or you'd like a copy of this this uh, document, I'd be happy to email one on to you and share it with you. Shoot me a message, uh, sam at sacredcitychurch.com, and I'll be happy to get that in your hands. In the meantime, be prayerful um, uh, about your giving. Ask the Lord, well, what is it that I, sh- I should give, right? Of course, Scripture says you should give, tells us why we should give, but but what should I give is, is the next question. There are a bunch of great resources out there. Let me just point you to one here that I've got sitting at my desk. Um, this book is written by John Stott and Chris Wright. It's called The Grace of Giving. If this is something that you feel like, man, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I, I'd like to, to see what the Bible has more to say. I don't really trust you, Sam. You just sound kind of, you know, you sound like you're just trying to drum up a bunch of money for yourself. I'd hope you give me a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than that. But um, the grace of giving would be a good spot to look. Um, the grace of giving. Also, the the treasure principle. Is that what it's called? It's by, oh, what's the guy's name? Randy Alcorn. It's a great little book. Both these books are small little books you can grab on Amazon. Really helpful books to help you navigate the topic of giving. That's it. That's it. I'm done for now. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on Sunday as we gather to worship. I'm looking forward to digging into Nehemiah chapter 11 together. So God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Peace.